are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss, alongside Ulysses Sombrano, and we're the host of the Locked On Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to Locked On Rays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey, and online at fanstreamsports.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Rays and email us, LockedOnRays at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join Ulysses and I this week to get in on the action and conversation. Spotify Green Room. Okay, guys, we have a very special episode today as Ulysses and I were recently joined by Keenan Lamb, who is the MLB draft writer for Baseball Prospectus, gave us some great insight on the upcoming 2021 MLB draft. Without further ado, here's Keenan Lamb. Hope you enjoy. Today, we have a very special guest in advance of the 2021 MLB draft, and that is Keenan Lamb, who is the senior MLB draft writer and amateur scouting coordinator for Baseball Prospectus. A lot of uh, bold titles there, Keenan. Uh, first off, thank you for joining us. And is this just like your, is this like your Christmas right now, Christmas in July with the MLB draft impending right now? That's a great question. I'm not really sure which holiday I would compare it to. It's, um, I guess it is kind of like Christmas because it's a, for those people who are like Christmas crazy, like it's a big ramp up and you're listening to all the songs and it's like November starts and you're already like in that mood. Like I've been in draft mode since really, I start like the day after the Super Bowl. And from then on, I'm like going like 90 miles an hour for about like, you know, four or five months, depending on when the draft happens to be. But yeah, this is a big, uh, big week for sure. Absolutely. And first off, I mean, kind of going back a little bit, how did you get involved with baseball perspectives, just your background in sports media and writing about baseball? Sure. Um, I actually uh, started working, I had an internship working for a, a data uh, baseball group sports info solutions at the time was baseball info solutions and Eric Neander previously uh, worked at the baseball info solutions. So it's a good place to get your start, I guess. And uh, I actually worked for the Toronto blue Jays for a year and then the Miami Marlins for two years uh, working in their player development video uh, areas and uh, ended up uh, finding my way out on the unemployment line uh, after the Jeter group came in and kind of cleaned house uh, with the Marlins. So decided I still want to be part of the game and, and did some writing. And here I am with baseball perspectives a couple years in and just loving really being the focal point of the amateur uh, scouting coverage that we had. Is that something that had always kind of ticked your interest there, the, 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 the draft and, and prospects, or is this something that you were like, Hey, you know what? I've never really got into this. Uh, how about I, I kind of dive into this. I think I was always more interested in uh, pro prospects. So like minor leagues and having worked with them, like I got really interested in that as well. And just l being able to go to literally every game for two full years when I worked with the Marlins, I was uh, with their double A team at the time, the Jacksonville Suns and Jumbo Shrimp. And it was like the best job ever and getting to see that kind of talent, you know, for, for six months on end. 
And then I really kind of found this like whole other niche that I really felt like was an itch that needed to be scratched. It's it's kind of like that idea of seeing a band before they hit it big, you know, going to their concert when they're in like just some like garage at somebody's house. And all of a sudden, like three years later, you hear them on the radio and like, holy crap, like I saw those guys a long time ago. I kind of feel that way with amateur players being able to see them in high school and college and say, yeah, I think they're going to be big someday. And here's why. So I think that's really why. God, that's actually one of the, 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 the things I wanted to hear from you and you kind of, uh, got ahead of here, uh, as someone who follows the draft so closely for years, can you talk about that feeling, uh, of when a player develops in the majors that maybe you were high on or, or you weren't so high on And What is that feeling like when that player actually hits the majors, they develop, they're being productive. And is, is it a feeling of vindication? What, what's that feeling like? Um, I try not to do that too often because for every one of those players, there's probably another player where you were really high and confident on that fell flat on his face. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a 50, 50 some game where you're probably right half the time and wrong half the time. And that's, that's the, it's, it's scouting isn't exactly a science because if it were, then everybody would be really good at it. It's more of an art form. And it, like every year you learn a little bit more, it humbles you. So like a guy like, for instance, last year, Dylan Dingler was a guy I was super high on. And I thought he was a top 20 prospect and he fell out of the first round and really fell into the laps of the Detroit Tigers in the second round. And he's already up in double A and he's one of the best catching prospects in the game. And he, it's not even been a full year since he's been drafted. So I think stuff like that, that's fun. But uh, you definitely know not to to uh, to uh, revel in it too much. Interesting. All right. Let's let's get into the weeds here, Keenan, with the upcoming MLB draft. Uh, first of all, what do you think about this new timeline, this new date of, I guess, mid-July sort of interwoven with the All-Star break? Because I guess in the past it had been held in, what, early June, right? Right, right. Yeah, we're about five weeks later than normal, and I think everyone's still adjusting to it. Scouting departments are adjusting to it. College programs, the the summer showcase events, they're adjusting to it. It's 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 been very weird because last year, as odd as it was with, you know, the pandemic and trying to scout a, a five round draft, this year's also been weird trying to adjust to that new timeline as well. So trying to predict what teams are, you know, seeing players late and who they got heat on and trying to predict where they might go has been a lot more difficult because we haven't seen high school and college teams play for six, seven, eight weeks, even longer in some cases. So it's kind of the predicting game has gotten more difficult. And I think we'll have to see how after the draft is and go back and, and see what worked and what didn't work. Because stuff like the the MLB Draft League and um, them trying to do a, a combine style event, they, they were OK. There's there's some things to work on. And I think everyone's trying to figure out their processes for next year. Having said all of that, Keenan, and uh, looking at the upcoming draft, who is your kind of best indication or best guess as to who will be taken first overall by none other than the Pittsburgh Pirates, of course. I think most people could have guessed that the Pirates be, would be drafting number one overall. But I've heard, you know, I'm, I'm far from a draft expert or anything like that, but I've heard, you know, the name Jack Leiter. I've heard about this Marcelo Meyer kid, Kamar Rocker the Henry Davis kid out of Louisville. Like, do you have an indication at, as to where the pirates are going to go with number one overall? 
It's a fluid situation, and that exists really for any of, I would say, the top seven or eight picks. Um, there's kind of a tier of player where any one of those guys could potentially go first overall. And credit to the Pirates, they've really been keeping their information close to the vest. There haven't been a whole lot of leaks, a uh, whole lot of rumors. It, it, it's possible they might try and, and take a guy who's under slot. So a guy potentially like a Jackson Job, for instance, uh, I don't think that's going to happen because a right-handed pitcher at a high school has never been chosen first overall. But there, there's a lot of possibilities they could go with. Right now, if you were to handicap it, it's probably Marcelo Meyer. I think that's what most evaluators would say is the best player in this draft. I have him number two on my draft board personally. I think Jordan Lawler has the higher floor and is the better athlete, but I think Meyer might be the pick at this point. And if we focus in on the Tampa Bay Rays, um, do, can you pinpoint a couple of names that are surrounding uh, the team? I, I've heard a lot about that right-handed pitcher, Ryan Cusick, I believe is his last name, um, to be most aligned with the race. Is, is that a fair uh, name to throw out there for the race? Sure, it's entirely possible. He's a guy who would fall into that range. Uh, he's a, like a six foot seven righty out of Wake Forest, throws near 100 miles an hour with a power curveball. So, had a lot of strikeouts this year uh, for the Demon Deacons. Um, I saw him firsthand against Florida State. I think he went like five innings with 10 strikeouts, but also like six walks, I think. He doesn't really have a third pitch. It's not really like a command power profile. It's definitely just chuck it up there and make guys miss because it is such a power arsenal. Uh, he could be in that spot for sure. Um, I think if you just look back in recent years, what the Rays have done, they've kind of gone for that super toolsy, uh, just very high ceiling player in like years like 2011 through 2015, 2016. But then in the last couple of years, 2017 with Brandon McKay was a, a college performer. Matthew Liberator just kind of fell to them, which was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, he was thought as a top 10 pick and was, I think, pick 16. Greg Jones was a college performer with loud tools. And then last year, Nick Bitsko also kind of fell into her lap and Hopefully he gets better and, and it gets past his his injuries that he's um, fallen on uh, his brief professional career. But it's kind of tough to say where they trend to go towards. Cusick is one guy. Gavin Williams, maybe a right-handed pitcher out of East Carolina, has big-time stuff and has better secondary pitches. Uh, I think he's got a better chance to stick as a starter as opposed to Cusick, who could be a reliever. It just really depends on how the draft board falls because it's very high school heavy this year, and they might just take a, a guy who they think it has the highest potential with with kind of the youth benefiting their profile. Right, and Keenan, don't the Rays also have a compensatory pick at thirty four? I think yes. so. They would have some kind of flexibility or some options there. Another name I've heard kind of thrown. Uh, across multiple outlets is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Wes Kath, a, a high school player out of, I think, Arizona. What's kind of your read on him and if he's a potential fall to the Rays? Sure. And you bring up a great point, Kevin. It's they got, I think, four picks of the top 100. Uh, they've got the 28th, 34th, 63rd, and 100. And so there's a lot of room to maneuver with those bonus pools, especially when you have two picks as close as they are at 28 and 34. You might take a guy who 
the industry, and I use air quotes, industry <laughs> might think is like the 40th best player or something like that. And then be able to float a smaller number to him than the two and a half million dollars that that bonus slot is allotted to. And then pay a little bit more uh, at pick 34 to a guy who might be sliding a little bit, who would have been maybe a top 20 pick, but has a bigger number. So maybe you can give him $3 million instead. So there's a lot of strategy that's involved with these picks, uh, depending on what happens that first night on Sunday. Uh, Wes Kath, you know, he's a big kid. I don't think he's going to end up as a shortstop long term, although I think he is listed as one. He's profiles more with his body and his frame as more of a third baseman. Big loft in his swing, ton of power, destroyed competition in Arizona this year. Um, had some uh, uh, good performances last year at the Baseball Factory All-Star Game in October. So he, he's a guy who definitely is in that mix as like a top 50 sort of prospect. And he could go anywhere really between pick 28, where the Rays have, and pick 50. Like, it just depends. Talk about nerve-wracking on that day waiting for that phone call to ring and you don't know if you're going 28 or 55. <laughs> well, as long as you have like a number in mind, so like these high school players have that leverage, right? Um, I forget where Kath is committed to off the top of my head. Um, but if you say to yourself, say to your family, all right, I'm going to go to college for the next two or three years, unless we get a $3 million signing bonus offer, mm -hmm. then you have to have the team come back and say, all right, well, we'll give you that much. So th that's the posturing that happens behind the scenes on draft night. And as long as those strategies have been discussed between both the player and his advisor, air quotes advisor, and the teams that are looking to draft in a certain range, then that's how things will shake out. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Green Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, Ulysses, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. We'll be hosting rooms for the Locked on Rays podcast once a week, and yes, that means you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day. So go download the free Spotify Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB group for the latest league updates. You can also follow me at Kevin Weiss, K-E-V-I-N-W-E-I-S-S, -S, to be notified when our room goes live. Big picture here, Keenan. Um, what do you consider maybe the strength of this year's draft? Is it high school arms, high school bats, college arms, college bats, or is it just a crapshoot? Who, who really knows at this point? But what do you say overall as far as this year's draft goes? I think it's a very good, very good high school class. I would say it's, um, if we're going to use a, a 2080 scouting scale, it's probably an above average, like a 60 grade year for high school players. But on the college side, I would probably rate it as something as a 40. So below average, mm. I, th I think the college side, um, what will end up happening is we'll take a look back a couple of years from now and say, you know, we just didn't have enough information based upon what was played last year. The lack of summer leagues and high level summer leagues and summer uh, uh, like the U.S. Uh, uh, collegiate national team didn't play last year. The Cape league didn't play last year. We just didn't quite have the, the full grasp of, of how good some of these college players were. And then it was just kind of a down year overall across the board this spring for a lot of the players we thought were going to be good. 
Whereas the high school players, they played a lot. Um, their high school seasons were interrupted, but they ended up playing a, a lot of travel ball in the summer and a lot in the fall and got a full season mostly in for the spring. So I think the high school players just had a better chance to develop and, and be shown off a little bit more. And we're seeing that with the depth of the class. I mean, I, it's really like four or five rounds deep as far as really good high school players. I think a little bit more on the position side than the pitchers because position players are always just a little bit easier to do. There's a little bit less variance in health risk factors, that kind of thing. But I think the high school position player is a, is a very deep, very good class. And have you seen from, from these high school, um, you know, bunch, which like you said, are, are graded a little, little bit more uh, than the ones. Are there any draft uh, sleepers of some kind? Has a guy really, you know, astounded you? And then all of a sudden you, you don't really hear that name pop up in, in any of the draft coverages. Are there, who is that guy for you as a sleeper for this year? Sure. I mean, that's what's going to be hard is because you really break out these draft boards kind of into tiers, right? Like I said earlier, like the, the, the top tier player that should go in the top seven or eight picks is very fluid because they're all seen as kind of even. And then that next tier of like eight to, I don't know, 25, they're all kind of, you know, one big tier, but then 25 to about a hundred, it, it, you can ask a bunch of different scouts and they would give you completely different upside down answers and differ with a ton of variation. It's just, it's a very uh, fluid situation with, with who you think might be good. And for, as for me, one guy that I saw get a lot better as the spring went along is actually uh, someone who lives not too far from me. So I got to see him a couple times in the Jacksonville, Florida area is Jackson Bowmeister, who went to Chipper Jones old high school at Bowles in Jacksonville. And he went from a guy who was probably like a top 100, top 150 guy to all of a sudden he there's a chance he could go in the comp round. He could go potentially to the Rays, you know, in, in either of those, the comp round or second round pick. He's six foot five. He has very easy velocity. And he went from throwing like 90 to 92 to all of a sudden throwing like 93, 95 with a very big breaking ball, very good projectable body. And, and somebody who uh, really rose up draft boards um, exponentially this spring. So I think he's a guy to look out on. And another Florida kid I'm going to showcase uh, and highlight is Edwin Arroyo, who moved from the Puerto Rico uh, last summer. Uh, and moved to the Orlando area uh, and was playing there. And he's a guy that stood out to me when I saw him at the Perfect Game All-American Classic last summer. Switch hitter, excellent defender at shortstop. I think he's going to stick there. Line drive hitter uh, with some pop, and, and he's got uh, a lot of adeptness to both sides of the plate, which is a tough thing to do as a young player to be able to hit equally as well from both sides. Usually one is kind of better than the other, but I thought he was really good. Um, from either side. So I think those are the two guys I think are going to be flying a little bit under the radar that a lot of the the prospect and draft uh, pundits aren't talking about as much that, that could go uh, higher than people think. And Arroyo, he is high school age, right? So I'm, I'm guessing 17, 18 years old? Right, correct. Wow. And you, you're saying good defense, uh, a, a switch hitter, both sides. Uh, Kevin, does that sound like uh, <laughs> a trend lately in, in the race picks, a uh, switch hitter that's good with the glove and, and can play some middle infield or what? 
Yeah, middle infield type switch hitters. Uh, that's what the Rays like, apparently, between Xavier Edwards, Fidel Brujan, Wander Franco, the list goes on and on with that. Uh, Keenan, you mentioned a couple of Florida guys kind of going hyper-local here in the Tampa Bay area. There's a couple prospects that uh, I've seen could go you know, within the top 20, top 50, first couple rounds, I guess, so to speak. Gunnar Hoagland, who uh, is from Pasco County, 5A High School, and then uh, has played at Ole Miss, but I believe he's having or had Tommy John surgery, and then Tommy Mace, who is from Sun Lake High School. Uh, and I think, I mean, he could have gotten drafted pretty high up last year, but I guess I don't know if he told teams that he wasn't going to sign for the amounts that were being thrown out to him. I don't know if you can confirm uh, or deny all that, but uh, as far as those two guys, do you have a read on where those guys could land in this draft? Those are a couple of local kids that seem to be generating a lot of fire right now. Sure. Those were two of the best collegiate pitchers in all of baseball this past spring. And especially Hoagland, I, I have him as a potential top 10 pick before the Tommy John surgery. I still don't think I want to discount him too much, even though he's probably not going to step out on a mound competitively until this time next year. But even so, like that's not that big of a deal when you're talking about a player you're not expecting to join your major league team until 2023 or 2024. You know, I think he's a very, very good player uh, who should be considered in, in that top half of the first round. And he has good metrics. He had great strikeout numbers, good physical body, good command. He checked all the boxes for me. I, I'm a big fan of Gunnar Hoagland. Tommy Mace is a, um, is a big, just horse, workhorse of a pitcher. I mean, he's like 6'6", 250. He's an intimidating guy on the mound. Uh, just threw a ton of fastballs at Florida. Uh, has great extension. Um, so that fastball played up a little bit. But to me, that the difference between maybe Hoagland with having a, a little bit more refinement in his secondary pitches and better command, Mace was just a, a heavy fastball user, and his breaking balls were – he kind of modified one pitch and made him the kind of two was that he was able to manipulate kind of a slider grip and some would slow down and get more of a curveball shape to it. And others would be a little bit harder and kind of have like a cutter or slider shape to it. And to me, that was just an okay pitch. And then beyond that, like the changeup was pretty below average. And so to me, there's, there's a little bit more reliever risk associated with uh, Tommy Mace, but he's still a guy who's probably going to be a top 70 or so pick pretty much in line where he could have gone last year. I think he had just told teams that he wanted to, to bet on himself and he did a good job of doing that. I just don't think he progressed quite far enough with the secondary pitches to, to gain potentially a first round selection this year. Interesting. Ulysses, I think it's safe to say they'll uh, be much wealthier or much richer than they were uh, before they got drafted. That's probably an assessment. 100%. Uh, Keenan, wanted to throw this out to you. So we we mentioned uh, some of the, the college guys that are from here locally and uh, potential draft sleepers. But, you know, you working within baseball and front offices and covering the game for as long as you have now, I, I was always interested in this. So like, you know, occasionally you'll see, you know, D2, D3, Juco guys get drafted. And I go back to, you, you probably are not familiar with this name, but like several years ago, um, you know, I living up in the Tampa Bay area, there's a kid out of St. Leo University, Division Two. He batted like 457 the entire year, hit a bunch of home runs, was drafted in the 24th round by the Houston Astros. Like how do teams in front offices like, separate what those numbers are in D2 or D3 and say, 
okay, this guy is clearly a monster at this lower level, but we still, but can he make the transition to pro ball? Like how do teams go about figuring that out and determining that? Has it been, I guess, made easier because of you have, uh, you now have like the, the drive lines and the pitching metrics and the stat cast and, and swing speeds and things like that. Just, I, I was just curious about that guys that are just like small school monsters in the transition to pro ball. Sure. I think the the institution of technology into scouting has helped a lot of that because you're right. It's tough to compare apples to apples when you're talking about a you know an NAIA guy versus a guy who's been you know performing in the ACC or you know Conference USA or something like that. Um, there, there are some factors that you do have to look at just based upon physicality and projection and what they look like as a player. But you know, a lot of that when you get a scout's eyes on a guy, can you tell what bat speed looks like at a premium level or does it blast motion or some of these other like diamond cast, uh, you know, technologies that can actually quantify how fast a guy's exit below is um, on average or, or max exit velocity. That certainly helps. It's still kind of trickling down into those lower levels, um, depending on where they place some of these stadiums, especially in places like, like Florida and Arizona um, where these, you have these uh, spring training facilities and and they'll lend their usage out to a lot of JUCO programs. Um, They're able to use stuff like TrackMan to be able to, to capture some of these events and see what these players are like in a small snapshot. So it's getting better. Um, It's still kind of a a random roll of the dice. Uh, I think it only will get better as we move forward, but it's still kind of a work in progress. Okay, we have been telling you about Built Bar, the greatest protein bar on the planet for a while now. And guess what? Built Bar has a new limited time flavor, and that is Built Grasshopper Cookie. Built Grasshopper Cookie. Say that five times fast. Uh, It is available this week through July 9th. So be sure to get the new Built Bar flavor grasshopper cookie. What does it taste like? Well, this built bar is sort of like a version of the classic thin mint cookie, but all the flavor without all the sugar, 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, and just five grams of sugar. Uh, in addition to grasshopper cookie, you can also get, uh, so many of the other great delicious flavors as well. Cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel cookies and cream. The list goes on and on with the uh, choices you can have with Built Bar. Also, interesting note here, Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. How about that? Uh, so go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and that'll get you 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D, the numerals 1-5, for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Come. Uh, when you talk about this year's draft, and you, and you mentioned a couple of states there, Arizona and, and Florida, obviously, what state is producing the most draft-ready guys for, for 2021? Uh, obviously, Florida, California, and Texas, I'm, I'm sure every year in and out, they're top three. But is there another state that, that, that might be in the running? I'm telling you, maybe not this year. It'll be close, but at least – 
next year, Georgia is going to be a very, very heavily scouted area. And, and it always is year in, year out. I would probably say it's probably the fourth, um, probably the fourth best collection of talent, usually on a year in, year out basis when you talk about high school and college. Uh, next year, they have a chance to have at least three high schoolers go in the top 10. They'll also have Kevin Parada, who's a catcher at Georgia Tech, who could be a top 10 product. Uh, Georgia, University of Georgia, always has good players coming in and out of that uh, program. It, it's I was in Atlanta for a couple days this year trying to catch a Georgia versus Louisville series, and I ended up just popping around to high schools around the Atlanta area. And I could have stayed several weeks and still <laughs> not hit up everybody I wanted to. Brady House is the big uh, guy out of there this year who's probably a top five or six pick shortstop prospect who might move over to third base eventually. But George is, a, especially the, the greater Atlanta area, very hotbed of talent there. Uh, I, I, I want to, you know, you got me because when you said Atlanta, I was like, oh, you, you, he must have uh, gone to a Braves game, right? But no, obviously that, that your focus is always a little bit more on the prospects. How do you balance that? Uh, do you ever actually watch MLB? Are you, how do you manage the prospect game plus the, the show? How do you do that in, in your own regular life? Well, I think it is important, and I think there, there are other draft people um, who like to do what I do who will mention that it's always good to kind of cleanse your palate a little bit from watching sometimes really bad baseball, especially at the high school <laughs> level, to then turn on like a big league spring training game even um, just to see the, some of the prospects that are involved um, and see some of the, the superstars, you know, them getting their timing down. It just gives you kind of a better idea of like, this is the end goal. This is what the players look like at this level. And for me, I go to plenty of Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp games, which is AAA now this year. I'm still doing a little bit of minor league prospect coverage for baseball prospectus. So even getting that next level, like right before the big leagues helps kind of rein back in like, okay, so this is what they look like when they're supposed to be like 22 to 24, 25. This kid at 18, what do I think he's going to look like when he's 22 or 24 or 25? So it, it definitely helps. You know, obviously living in Jacksonville, you, you got to see, uh, uh, you know, the Wander Boy, everybody who's talking about Wander Franco, you obviously got to see him as a um, as a visiting um, a player there, I, I believe a month ago. Uh, but I, I don't actually want to talk about Wander and, and Kevin might, 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 uh, might uh, be surprised at this because I always try to get some Wander talk, but I actually want to talk about Shane Boss. Uh, mm-hmm. who I think will soon stop being known as that third throw-in guy from the Archer deal. And uh, yeah, he's a player to be named to, to something else uh, because the big thing about him was the lack of controlling the strike zone. He was just too wild. Uh, but I looked at some of his um, stuff in, in Durham and his delivery is, I, I think, so clean. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't come up with a comp. So if you have a comp for an MLB player that, uh, that has his just leg up and then throw in, in the stretch, it's, it's, it was very nice to see that. And the control is there. Uh, he got player a minor league pitcher of the month and, and only allowed three walks in 24 innings. Can you talk about how his development is tracking? Can he be? projected to be a top of the rotation arm for the race, let's say 2022. 
So I was fortunate enough to see him twice, thanks to the six-game schedule that they have this year. He pitched the first game of the series on a Tuesday night, and then I saw him again on Sunday on getaway day. And the Tuesday game, he was pretty good. I was pretty impressed. Uh, you know, had had modest numbers. But then that second game, that Sunday night game, uh, he had like 10 strikeouts, no walks, five innings, just cruised. I mean, he just beat down a pretty inept triple-A squad that one of the a pretty bad lineup, even by triple-A standards. But it was it was impressive nonetheless. Um, I'm trying to think of a comp as far as what that delivery looks like. It's it's yeah. pretty unique in a lot of ways. But what's important more so about like what it you know reminds you of is the fact that where he came from to where it is now, if you look at video of him, even like in the Arizona Fall League, that was kind of where he was really starting to figure out how is this going to work for me? Because when he was in high school, when he had first started with the Pirates, it was such a violent delivery with a violent head whack. It was, he wasn't even looking at the glove when he was finally releasing the ball. It was just chucking it and seeing where it goes. Now it's like you said, it's just leg up, move straight towards the target. It's more of a controlled delivery. He's more in like that 93 to 95 range with, with pretty dang good movement to his arm side. Whereas before it was like 97 to 99, which is great. But if you don't know where it's going, that doesn't really help you. But now here's the cool part is he knows he has that arm strength. So if he's in a big count, like I think I saw this two or three times, especially when he knew he was getting towards the end of his innings limit in that Sunday night game. If he had like a, a one-two count or a two-two count and a guy was, you know, fouling off his fastball at like 93 or 94, he'd reach back and throw 98 and the guy had no shot. So you know it's there. And that's that's a fun little piece to to know that like if he needs it, he can go back and get it. The breaking ball, he's got two breaking balls that are pretty okay. The changeup flashed uh, plus at times, but it's really inconsistent. So he still has some things to tighten up there. But the, to go from a very bad command pitcher to now a very good control pitcher, and then the stuff is starting to find its way into that like really, really good territory. Us at Baseball Prospectus, we're going to have him, I believe, as our number two overall pitching prospect, and probably inside the top 15 overall prospects when we release our midseason list later this week. Get excited, race yeah. fans. That is awesome, Kevin. That is great Uly news. Ulysses is already, already uh, frothing the, at the mouth right now with that. So <laughs> you great report there, Keenan. A couple final things here with the MLB draft, and we'll let you get running. Uh, busy time of the year for sure. Um, so the draft this year is 20 rounds. Last year, quirky year, of course, five rounds. I remember when it was not too long ago, 40-plus rounds. Um, where do you see it in the future, say 2022 and beyond? Do you see it staying at 20 rounds or maybe 25 rounds, 30 rounds? What's your best uh, prog prognosis on that going forward? You know, I, I don't know if I could even like try to predict what's going to happen with this upcoming CBA negotiation, because if we've noticed one thing every time that they get into these contentious talks, is that they're, the, the Players Association is more than willing to leverage players that aren't yet in their Players Association to try and use that as a negotiating tool with the owners. So the whole idea that it was you know cut in half from 40 down to 20 and last year all the way down to five was just so the players could get you know better incentives on, on their end. So I really have no clue where it could go from here. I still think that the the organizations are trying to figure out 
Um, their minor league rosters after they trimmed so many minor league teams uh, this year, and they're still kind of shaking down who belongs where. Um, I don't know, you know, when you add 20 more players to each organization here in the, in the next you know 10 days, how many players are going to get released? How many guys are just going to stash away in some of these complexes and figure it out in the fall and winter time? I think that's really going to be the turning point is, is the player development and the, the organizations giving feedback to their owners and saying, Hey, look, we, we don't even need 20 rounds. We can get it down to 10 or, Hey, it was good to have 20 rounds again. Cause we needed a fresh pool of players to get out some of the guys that we really didn't like after all. And it's good to just kind of funnel through them. So it, it could go either way. I, I think most scout actually, I'll, I'll let me amend that all scouts are in favor of more rounds compared to less rounds. <laughs> they would rather get more players than less players. So uh, they're probably not going to get their way, but it, it all just depends on how those negotiations go. Interesting. And Keenan, finally, kind of going back in time a little bit, which player do you think from last year's draft, the 2020 draft, will wind up having the best career? And don't feel pressured to say Nick Bitsko or Alec Williams. <laughs> you, you don't have to say those two names, but if you want to, go ahead. But yeah, which player from last year's draft you think will have the best career when it's all said and done 15, 20 years from now? Uh, that's a tough one. Because it, it, last year's class was kind of similar to this year's class where there wasn't a clear like generational talent. There wasn't some guy that was like a lock Number one overall pick, your Bryce Harper, Adley Rutschman, Steven Strasburg, none of those guys. Spencer Torkelson, I think, will have a very, very good career. Uh, I think he's just he's going to be probably a first baseman long term and be great for fantasy baseball and be great on home run derbies. But I, I don't know if he's going to be like a super Hall of Famer that we're going to talk about as one of the all time greats. Right. Um, there's it's it's similar to this year's draft in since it's deep. Last year was more college heavy. It was kind of flipped compared to this year. It was more college heavy, a lot of good college pitchers, and the high school wasn't quite as deep. Um, if I had to really go out on a limb, gosh, um, I really like Robert Hassel, uh, who was an outfielder chosen by the Padres. He was the first out, uh, high school prospect taken last year. Really, really like him. Uh, man. Feet to the fire, he might be the one. I just think he's incredibly uh, physical, very uh, adept uh, with baseball skill and athletic skill. Um, that that's a tough one. I, I guess if if I had to put some money on it, I guess I'd go with him. But that's a that's you, there's there's so many players I think are going to have very good careers. It's just it's that kind of depth of a class, not a super all star class. See, Ulysses, last question. We finally stumped Keenan. He was throwing dimes all <laughs> afternoon here with the questions. That's right. no, but Keenan, great stuff. I mean, you are just a, a wealth of baseball knowledge and draft knowledge. And uh, for people that want to reach out to you and find your work, how can they go about doing that? Sure. I think the, the number one thing, because, you know, the Rays are going to have tons of picks at the, at the top this year. And you're going to wonder, hey, what are these guys like? What do they look like? Uh, I have a YouTube page. You can just search for my name, Keenan Lamb at YouTube. And it's got tons and tons and tons of uh, prospect video on there from, from this past spring and last summer, some of the, the big summer uh, all-star events. So I definitely encourage you guys to go there, subscribe and, and check out the videos once you know who's coming your way next week. Also, just find me on Twitter at Keenan Lamb and uh, always writing at Baseball Perspectives. 
This was awesome. super fun. I, I already feel like a more knowledgeable baseball fan just because of this, uh, 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 you know, interaction. So thank you so much for coming on again, Keenan. Hey, you guys are the best. I look forward to uh, talking to you guys maybe after the draft or in the future coming. All right. We once again want to thank Keenan Lamb for joining us. And that'll wrap up this edition of the Locked on Rays podcast. Remember to tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of the Locked on Today podcast as well. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Stay safe and we'll talk to you tomorrow.